Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined once again by our panel. Say hello, panel. Hello, panel. Hello, hey, panel. everybody. And with you, if you were with us last week, then you heard the first part of our discussion uh, all about diversity, representation, and inclusion. Um, and that discussion went a little bit long, so we pushed it the rest of it over into this episode. And uh, so we're going to get a lot more into that discussion now. But first, we're going to introduce ourselves. We're going to do something similar to last time where we're going to talk about uh, ourselves a little bit so you know where we're coming from. But I got a little bit of uh, uh, feedback from my spouse, and I thought it was really good feedback. Uh, last time we talked in our intros about the ways in which we were marginalized, but we didn't really talk about the ways in which we were privileged. So I, I want to try to cover both this time. Uh, so hi, I'm Ruark. Uh, that's me. I'm Ruark. Um, and I'm the host of this show. Um, I am non-binary. I am queer. I suffer from uh, mental health issues, um, and I have uh, chronic pain. Um, but my privileges, um, I present as a cishet white male in North America, and I generally am afforded all the privileges that tend to get afforded to people like that. So as far as privileges, privileges go, I pretty much get all of them. So even though I, I do fit into some marginalized groups, I do also receive a whole lot of privileges. Um, and that's me. Um, let's move on. Uh, we've got once again with us our guest, Saima. Uh, Saima, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Thank you, Ruak. Hi, everyone. I'm Saima. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, and I am a second generation British Pakistani born and bred in Yorkshire and currently living in Kendall Lake District. I have a few dynamic disabilities. I'm currently using a wheelchair and a, a host of mental health curiosities. And I love this question about privilege. Um, and I can state that I am a lighter brown skinned South Asian and um, I haven't had to deal with colorism as a friends and family members have done um, from South Asian backgrounds. And I was also born into a Muslim family and I am perceived as Muslim. No one questions whether I am Muslim, unlike, unlike my black Muslim friends and white convert friends. And so that's a huge privilege that I'm just realizing that I have. So thank you to Madeline for the question. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us, Saima. And uh, you you reminded me there that I am horrible about telling people my pronouns uh, by using your pronouns in your intro there. So I'm going to throw mine in here really quick. Uh, my pronouns are they, them. Um, and yeah, let's move on now. Uh, David, why don't you go next? And hi, everybody. Uh, as I mentioned in the previous episode, I am a white hetero male and grew up with some severe mental issues, mostly related to body image and uh, masculinity. Um, but other than that, I've had pretty much all of the privilege in the world growing up as the majority um, religion in the place where I am not anymore. But growing up, I had that as well as being white and uh, in a fairly high-end middle-class family. So not a whole lot to worry about. 
And thank you for joining us, David. Uh, next, joining us, uh, wasn't able to join us last time, but he's here this time. It's DW. Hi, everybody. I'm sorry I wasn't able to join you. I was celebrating my birthday last weekend. Um, Happy birthday. Hey, thank happy you. Birthday. Uh, so I am a white cishet male. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. And uh, I, I'll, like David, grew up with uh, an ex- considerable amount of privilege. Um, I've had some issues, both health and, uh, mental, uh, throughout my life. Um, and I think I consider it a privilege. I don't know if it falls under the, the, the exact meaning that we're using here, but I've considered it a privilege that in my early years, I was kind of outcast among the people I knew. I was not exposed to a lot of other races. I was not exposed to a lot of other cultures, but because I was an outcast within my own culture, when I got to high school and was exposed, I was open to learning about them. And I was open to, uh, to uh, basically being less judgy in the first greeting of them. And that has uh, been a privilege that I've felt. Um, but I also have the privileges of being white, male, cishet, um, and uh, recognize that the privileges that those uh, presented me and try to do what I can with them to help uh, kind of even out the field playing field as much as one person is able. Wonderful. Uh, thanks for joining us, DW. Glad to see you here again. Thank you. Good to be back. Thank you. And uh, up next, uh, Siobhan, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay. Um, I am non-binary and queer. I accept any and all pronouns. Um, I present as a woman. Um, I... Uh, so my area of privilege is, first of all, I am white in a, um, a country that is is primarily run by white people. Um, I uh, grew up in an immigrant family, but came here at such a young age that I don't have an accent anymore. Um, so, you know, I uh, am fluent in English, which is always, in my culture, taken as a sign of intelligence. Um, and uh, so my childhood was very much the kind of story that CBC used to make after-school specials about. But um, <laughs> but at the same time, there was um, a lot of emphasis on education, on reading, um, and that kind of influence from my parents has uh, made it very easy for me to present myself as um, you know successful. Uh, well-educated, articulate, um, not that I'm being terribly articulate right this exact second as I try to explain this, but um, I do have the the privilege of kind of fitting in at least visually with the, the, the ruling culture of my country. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Siobhan. We're glad to have you here. Um, next, why don't we have Greg? Hello. Um, I am also a white cishet male. Uh, pronouns or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I could be he, she, they, hey, you. I don't care. Uh, I'm not going to pass for a she, but, eh, you know, it doesn't bother me. Um, I, I grew up uh, poor, um, relatively uh, poor in uh, South Louisiana, uh, which pretty economically depressed as it was. Um, my major privilege was I, I, I went for education. I 
there wasn't much available to me, but I took whatever I could. Um, another privilege that I'm, I'm realizing now is I grew up in a, a town that had a lot of, um, a lot of diversity, actually. Uh, there were, there were a lot of, uh, white people. There were a lot of black people. There was a big, uh, influx of Asian, uh, immigrants after the Vietnam war. So we had a lot of, uh, a lot of people immigrating from Vietnam to, to the area, mainly to work in, you know, agriculture, fishing, that sort of thing. So, uh, I was exposed to a lot of different types of people, uh, which that's a, that's a real privilege that, that really is, you know, I didn't grow up just around white people there, there, there was more than that, uh, available to me, uh, which was fantastic. I, I really am trying not to say that word so much, uh, but, <laughs> but I, I, I did, uh, you know, I, I did get a lot of experience with, with different types of people and that's really served me well. It's, it's really helped me and, uh, kept me from being very insular. Well, glad to have you with us. Uh, thanks for joining us, Greg. And, Certainly. uh, Coming up last once again, because for some reason, my video window also always puts you in the last position, but uh, I'm, I'm still going to say it's because you're my favorite. Don't tell anybody else. It's Samaria. Hi, everybody. Um, as I mentioned last week, I am black and I am um, a queer woman. Um, I have diagnosed depression and panic disorder and undiagnosed, untreated ADHD that I didn't know about until my grad school advisor. Um, told me. So that was fun. Um, but let's see. For me, it's very important that I acknowledge that I'm also privileged in ways that is very much um, unreachable and accessible to a lot of Black people. Um, I was privileged enough to attend very expensive private schools, like I'm talking Gossip Girl level um, private schools. Like my parents could not afford them. They took out loans. They went broke. Um, like a lot of the time, ooh, I hope my mom doesn't get mad at me for putting this out in the streets. Um, like we didn't have, you know, she forgo, she forwent like paying, you know, the air conditioning bill in the summer so she can save up money for like my books and stuff. But that still meant that I, you know, was able to attend schools and get an education that is wildly out of the reach of most people in the U.S., um, regardless of race and class and gender. Um, let's see. I'm light-skinned among, you know, the Black community, and that is definitely a privilege. Um, let's see. I have both a bachelor's and a master's degree. The master's degree came from one of the best universities in the world, not just the country. Um, and let's see. I do identify as Christian, which, you know, as a kid, Calling that a privilege would have made me cringe, but I am an adult and I know better. And so now I know that is something that definitely gives me a lot of leverage, um, not just in the U.S., but in this country, um, in the world. Let's see. And I'm cis and femme, which comes with its own problems in terms of fetishization. But if you're queer and you're a woman and your natural inclination is toward being femme, that is definitely something that helps and shields and protects in ways that not being femme doesn't. 
So that's me. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Um, and, uh, just to dive directly back in where we t- broke off last time, uh, we just finished discussing, uh, gender essentialism in the world of the wheel of time. And, uh, we were getting ready to move on to sexuality. Um, and sexuality in the books, um, I'm going to say most of the, the actual like sex scenes in the books, they, they didn't happen. They, it was always a fade to black situation. If somebody's going to have sex, they just kind of go off page and you know what happens, but they don't have to talk about it. Um, Robert Jordan never really wrote anything in a titillating manner. Um, even, even when somebody was, you know, sexually aroused by somebody else, it was usually like the turn of their calf or something like that. It was never like. Oh, look at how round her boobs are. Although he did talk about the size of boobs quite often, but not in a sexual way. Um, I, I, I do think that Robert. Pages. Yes, I do think that Robert Jordan liked his women round. We'll put it that way, because because there there are several descriptions uh, to uh, um, ample bosoms and rounded bottoms. We I think we can say huge um, tracts of land. And yeah, um, but as far as like the actual. St- Sex that didn't really happen on screen, on screen in quotes. There, so it wasn't uh, really a Harold Robbins type. No, um, and there there is some nudity in the books, but it's not described lascivi- lasciviously. It's incidental nudity, and he will note that the nudity is there, but not in a lascivious or sexual manner. Yeah. Um, and I'm noticing that in the show, they're doing it much the same way. Um, you know, there, there's been a little bit of nudity. None of it has been in a sexual fashion, really. Um, it's it's not seen lasciviously. It, it's just incidental because somebody in that scene would have been nude naturally, not they are put in that scene to be nude. Right. They're in a tub or something. It's yeah. Like yeah. It's, yeah. Um, and yeah, I just, and, and beyond that in the books, um, Gay people are mentioned in a roundabout way. He talks about pillow friends, uh, which he did later say yes was a way of saying gay without saying gay because in you know when these books were first written, it was still a little iffy to put uh, out and out described as gay characters in your books. Um, but he still got them in there in a roundabout way. You know uh, the the as I was saying, the pillow friends in the white tower. Um, and then later in the books, um, you know, we're talking later into like the two thousands at this point. Um, it did get a little more overt. He actually described, uh, relationships between people and, and like there was a relationship between two women and it wasn't remarked upon because it was a relationship between two women. It was remarked upon because both of those women had other partners and it was a, cheating relationship. Ooh, scandal. So, you know, it, it, it's acknowledged that, that queer people exist in this universe. It's just not that overt in the books. And in the show, I think we can say that, 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 that floodgate is open. Um, I want to hear what, what you all think about the queer representation we've been seeing in the show. So a question about the books. Um, mm-hmm. What's the, uh, the story with uh, Moraine's relationship with the, 
with the Ermeline seat. With Swan. Uh, yep. So they do explicitly state um, in, in the prequel book, um, which takes place uh, when, when uh, Moraine and Swan are um, in the White Tower and just pass their, their test for the shawl and become Aes Sedai. And they are noted as being lovers at that point in time. And then later on in the books, it's never really mentioned again. Like they've kind of moved on. That was a thing they did in college. So in the show, they've obviously just said, okay, they, they were, it's canon in the books that they were lovers when they were in the tower together. We don't have to say that they ever stopped. The, nothing in the books ever said they ever had stopped. So, okay. yeah. Okay. So, but the, the relationship was one of more of old friends. Uh, yeah. than current lovers. Correct, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the relationship in the book is more the relationship that they kind of show. Well, not really the relationship they show the world because the relationship they show the world in the show is, is uh, anim- you know, very animo. What's the word I'm looking for here? Animosity. Yeah, yeah. Adversarial, that's what I'm looking for. And I kept trying to go to animosity and you cannot work those two words together anyway <laughs> adversarial um, animosity yeah 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 antagonistic yeah antagonistic yeah. there we go yeah there that, go. The, the, all kinds of a words i was looking for that i couldn't find uh that's why i keep you guys around with all your big <laughs> fancy degrees um can i add something about the books without yeah yeah going absolutely into spoilers so once again speaking slowly, i don't know can you yeah. <laughs> i don't know seriously I, I, okay Simon, so Simon, i'm heart. loving I'm, I'm loving you being on this show just because Every time you start talking, I see everybody else's ears perk up and they start getting excited thinking that you might give them a few little spoilers. And it's, yeah. it's hilarious. I, I'm seriously worried. I think I should turn my camera off as well because I'm not very good at, at like having a poker face. I don't know how Ruach does it. So what you're saying is we should all say our theories and then we can just read off your face. Whether no, I've been, I've been, no, no, no. I've been practicing the whole turn around. Okay. <laughs> like if I just... If I just like disappear, I'll just like throw myself to the floor. <laughs> that means we're on to something. <laughs> yeah, for everyone at home, we can see each other. Yeah. Um, so yes, um, I was very proud of how well I did last week. Damn it, I shouldn't have said that because now I'm definitely going to mess up. Um, but Cool. <laughs> mm, yes. So what I love with the show is that they've kept the essence of Moraine and Swan in terms of once they were raised the shawl, they went their separate ways deliberately to achieve their mission. And so in the show, they kept that. They kept the fact that, oh, like people forget that they were best friends when they were accepted. In terms of the relationship, so New Spring is a prequel, and that came out between books 10 and 11. And before that point, and Ruach can correct me, there wasn't anything in the books about Swan and Maureen having a relationship, when New Spring came out, it was like, oh, wow, okay, great. This gives more depth. But the whole Pillow Friends thing is a real gnarly issue because it's this, as Rock said, it's about this thing that happened when they were at college. So when they were novices and accepted, right? Jordan says, yep, you know, Pillow Friends means that we're getting, I think he said, hot and messy under the sheets. That's what happened. But as soon as they attained the shawl, it's like they just forget. They forget that they had this relationship. And I won't go into details, but there's just a little bit too much 
um, thirsting after men a little bit too much. So I, I, the fact that Jordan did that for his time, that he did put in the fact that the you know women were having relationships is fantastic, but maybe he then flipped it a little bit too much. And I don't know. Overcompensated. Overcompensated. Yeah, yeah, there was something uh, uncomfortable for me happening there after they, you know, kind of got the shawl. Um, As in you grow well, out of it. Like yeah. there's a like there's this phenomenon. College it's called phase. like right. Well, you're yeah. gay until graduation. That mm-hmm. you know apparently happens at women's colleges. I wouldn't know because I couldn't afford to go to a women's college, so <laughs> <laughs> couldn't find out for myself. But um, yeah, there's this idea. You know, when I first came out to my mom, she was like, "Oh well, you know, that's because you're in school. You'll you know you'll graduate. You'll get on with your life. You'll forget about it." So not so much a phase but more like oh you know that's what you have available you're away from home you get to you know explore but once you you know graduate you you get a real job and you know you start making your life then you'll you know you settle in to how you really are and that's the vibe I'm getting from that yeah Yeah. it it was like that but there there were some people there were some I said I or accepted novices where you felt like okay that was something Maybe it was like that for them. But with Maureen Swan, it just f- felt like it should have been more. And so for me, the show yeah. was just beautiful um, because they are soulmates and they are soul sisters. They have this amazing mission. They go through so much and they have to cover up so much. And just to have that acknowledgement that there is a real deep, profound connection between them. And it's physical, yeah. like their love is on all levels. I just thought that was beautifully done. Um, I just want to address what you said about in the books, um, the after their 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 relationship is over, like they kind of both lust after men. And I didn't see that as an issue. As a bisexual person who, you know, people of whatever gender I'm attracted to, it doesn't you know, you don't stop being bisexual just because you're in what appears to be a, a cishet relationship. Um, so I didn't see that necessarily as an issue as much as just the, oh, they're gay because they're in college and they're done with that now. So um, just wanted to address that really quick. Um, any other thoughts that anybody had? I just really love the way the show really emphasized the depth of their relationship. Like that scene where Moraine is swearing her oath right before leaving the tower that read so much like a marriage vow to me and it was um and i i know when we talked about step in on you yeah i'm gonna step in on you right there there was actually a an interview with rafe this last week where they actually asked him specifically was that meant to be a wedding vow and he admitted that yes it was so you're not crazy when you saw that. That that absolutely awesome. was intentional. So beautiful. Point Siobhan. Yeah. So so I'm sorry. I did just wanted to put that in there for <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was just like the absolute. Like it. It was just. It really showcased the absolute depth of the relationship. This was not just you know two women who are on a mission together. It's not just two people who care about each other. This is serious and committed and longstanding and then they have to part and it's just so heartbreaking. <laughs> like, not a dry eye in the house. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. It, well, and it shows both of their cunning too, like to be able to hide a marriage vow in plain sight of every Aes Sedai watching, thinking that 
they hate each other at this moment in time is this the coolest thing oh ever. yeah everybody's talking to moraine about you know you have enemies here in the and you know i know you i Especially know you the hate the emerald and seat but <laughs> she's still the boss like like just little tidbits like that get dropped all over the place and then when you actually see them together um like just the contrast is just fantastic it was so beautifully done yeah it just shows how good they are at what they do yeah yeah, everything in in this show is just so well written, so well done. I'm I'm just so impressed Can I by freeze? all of it. Um, Can yeah. I also just give another shout out as well to the scene where Moraine is preparing to go and see Swan? You don't realize when you're watching it that's what she's doing, mm-hmm. but when Lan comes in, he's like, "What are you doing? Why have you masked the bond?" You know, he's yeah. like the grumpy father. Like, "What are you doing? I'm trying to look after you." But the emotions on Rosamund Pike's face, the excitement the trepidation, the nervousness that she's preparing to see the woman that she loves who and she hasn't seen her for, I don't know, at this point, I think it's two years. It's just so rich and real. Oh, just love it. Yeah. Um, and we've mentioned this before, but the realness of the the gay relationships in the show in general is far better than most media representations have been in the past. Oh, yeah. Making it natural and, and not forced. Not exploitative either. Yeah. It's well, very natural. It's very to the, uh, to the characters, you know? Yeah, it, the, well, there are so many shows right. where, yeah, they bring in a gay character, but it's for the gay trauma porn, you know? That gay character is there to become traumatized so that everybody else can feel bad for them, which is not any of the, any of the, the queer representation that we've seen in the show so far, you know, they're just there. They just exist. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's right. the beautiful thing is, is, uh, I love any time a story, whether by book, whether by a movie, by TV can present people of the wealth of variety we have in our world. As if it's just another wealth of variety, not here is a black character because we needed a black character. It's this character could have been any race, any gender. We chose a black woman because she was the best person for the role. And we've gone with that. And I love how natural that feels because that's what we experience in our daily thing. When you walk into, you know, a business or something like that, you're going to run into the person who's got that position or the person who's going to help you with whatever job you're trying to do. And that person can be from any walk of life. And not knowing that, not feeling that so heavy feels more natural. So I, I, I know it's not necessarily, it gets questioned by so many as they digest this kind of stuff and they want to know, is this person gay? Is this person straight? What's going on with this background? And it's just nice to see it be a little natural. Yeah, it, natural, but a little idealist, uh, which is fine. You know, we want to have something to strive for. Uh, what you're describing about how it's not really questioned, I don't know if that we're there yet. Um, it still is by a lot of people, and it's a damn shame. Oh, I don't but, mean in our real uh, life that it's not questioned. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I in yeah. the show it wasn't questioned. Right, and Yes, right, I'm right, agreeing yeah. with that idealism, and that is something to strive for. But and, the fact that people don't look – like if it came out that – uh, if their relationship came out to all the other Aes Sedai, it would be more that this is the Amarillan seat, not that it was two women. Yeah, it, right. it has nothing to do with it being a relationship between two women. It's the fact that the Pope has a relationship with somebody. Exactly. Right. And, and yeah. yeah, yes. Yeah. 
it's more the position than the person. Yeah. And, and I, I see that openness in the world just as a whole. I mean, there was, we, we commented on it at the time, but that interaction where Dana was kind of sussing out Rand and Matt and, you know, is like, Hey, you do a couple, you know, you're going to give them the old heave ho later. If you know what I'm saying, you know, and Rand's like, Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, this bet will do fine for the two of you. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, Rand's like, Oh no, 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 no. Trust me. If I was looking for something, I'd find something better than Matt. I mean, have you seen that, that <laughs> train wreck? You know? And you know, just the fact that it was that open that, you know, there, there wasn't that masculine. No, crack no, no, no. What, what you think I could be blah, blah, blah. You know? No, I have and, to prove myself. Yeah. Right. And, and it, it, felt like it's just an accepted natural part of this land because of that. You know, the, there was, these are rural boys and they're not doing that whole, Ooh, no, I couldn't be that. That's, that means they've seen it. They know it's around it. It's, you know, gay people are just a part of life and they don't have to hide and nobody thinks well, two, two things about them, except maybe the white cloaks, who knows, you know? And by presenting it that way in media, it helps people who maybe don't have exposure to it, get exposed in a way yeah. that maybe when they do encounter it in our real lives, they're going to be more accepting of it. That's the hope. I think that's that's the whole idea behind the re representation. Uh, again, yeah. coming from my privilege saying that, but that's how I've understood it. Yeah, very much so. Well, I think the whole show is doing a good job of that because as we mentioned before, uh, Simon brought up the hijabi, re oh, excuse me, hijabi representation last episode and it's exactly the same thing where you have an actor who wants to wear a hijab but they're not there because they need to wear the hijab they're there because they're an actor yeah, they're, they're not they're there because the role it. requires a hijab yes. they're there because they were the best person for the role and they happen to wear a hijab yes, yes. yeah and yeah. the other thing i really love about uh, dana as well is that she's trying to suss out you know are they in a relationship and it's not about you know, oh, are they in a relationship? It's because she's trying to find her angle. And again, it's this putting in this, um, the representation in a way that is so beautiful and natural to the scene because she's yeah. trying to figure out, okay, you know, if, if, they're, if he only likes boys and I need to think of a different way to keep them here because this is my mission. But then she finds out, okay, you know, he likes girls. So then it's, okay, now I can try and, you know, flip this and keep him and try and have the braid because she takes her hair down. She just, you know, does the braid yeah. like a Gwen. Again, it's just so, there's so much thought that has been put into every shot that when you start breaking it down, like, you know, people like me and Ruak do, <laughs> shot by <laughs> shot, there's so much behind, you know, every, every angle, the editing, the language. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Well, you can see the intent. The intent is there. If you, you know, it's some up, sometimes it's subtextual, sometimes it's really out in the open, but yeah, I mean, that was an intelligence gathering operation, what Dana was doing. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's what you do, you know? There's, there's another incident I want to bring up where, um, Elena makes the offer to step in to, to join her and her warders as part of their poly family. And at one point, Stepan says, you know, I've never been with a man. And it's just tossed off as this completely casual thing. Not that this is yeah, yeah. this insurmountable obstacle. I couldn't possibly do this because, yeah. you know. Yeah, not, oh my God, ew. Could you imagine being with a man? Just like, huh, I've never been with a man. I wonder what like it's a new experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I've never been with someone with blue eyes, you know? 
The and joke was more that warders. it's two men right. in, as opposed to the fact that it was men. Right. It's not, a, I've never been the man. I've never been with men. So, you know, maybe he has had a little one-on-one time. Who knows? But again, the, the power of having the warders have that conversation, right? The warders mm-hmm. who are seen as these hyper-masculine, you know, warriors, protectors, but they're right. the ones that are having this conversation that is so natural, you know, where Stepin's, you know, wondering, well, wonder what it's like. And Lan's like, well, how do you know they want you? Like it, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so beautiful. over there, like, you? well, I mean, come on, look at look at all I have to offer. <laughs> Why wouldn't want they this? want me? Yeah. But it's, just, it's wonderful, you know, two two male friends talking about that. Yeah, in, in that in that setting, that I have we ever seen that anywhere else in that way? I I can't think of anything, honestly. I, I have had conversations with with friends like that. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've definitely I, I, had I have, those conversations. I have gone out. I have gone out with friends to you know to gay clubs, and it's like nobody's hitting on me. Why? Why? What's what's my deal? <laughs> <laughs> I um, what just really sticks out to me in each of these instances is the lack of shame, and you yes. know, yeah. Alana especially contrasted with Leandra, and you know, like, Alana has no shame. She's very much a hedonist. And I love Living that her for her, life. you know, she, she is at all times. Um, and, you know, she has her, her waters, you know, and she in, clearly enjoys, you know, a sexual and romantic relationship with both of them and probably, you know, the boys with each other. And it's all joy, you know. And then Leandrin is the sore thumb where she has, you know, someone, she has a boyfriend, a paramour, something. But it's in secret and she's clearly embarrassed and ashamed of it. And, yes. you know, that's probably directly because of how she was treated as a child, you know, her choice of Aja and, you know, this obviously this deep seated hatred and suspicion of men, which may or may not be, you know, fairly earned, but how this is seen as, you know, extremely atypical. You know, like there's when I when Maureen threatened Leandrin, I'm going to tell your sisters it to me, like after going through that a few times, it's like, I don't think that's a threat because, you know, she's an Aes Sedai, she's a red. I think it's a threat because of who Leandrin is and her reputation. And so poking at that and threatening it is, you know, very dangerous for her. and. You know, that, you know, just that contrast and how different, you know, Leandrin treats, you know, just having someone in any capacity versus how literally everybody else we've seen in any other context. Um, you know, I guess that j- just says a lot, you know, about, you know, how this world is written, what this world is, you know, how sex and gender are, you know, treated. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything else particularly interesting to say about that but you know that's just something that stuck out to me a bit yeah it is a, it is a good point that the only relationship that shows any sort of shame or any sort of hiding is a heterosexual one it's interesting it's going to be interesting to see if that actually is a sexual relationship i hadn't and this is not based on book knowledge just on the yeah. show i just that scene i didn't see it that way i thought there was something else behind that mm-hmm. um 
but yeah, I, and I also love the fact that I don't know. Like as a book yeah. reader, I don't know where that I, was. I'm, I'm with you, Sam. I brought that up last episode that I I'm kind of fixating on Leandrin and her man in the North Harbor because that's not something from the books, and that, East is, that does mm-hmm. seem like a big mystery. The, and, that's East Harbor. No, no, the East Harbor. The East Harbor is the gay bar that she hangs out. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, the, this 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 friend of hers in the North Harbor. I, I don't want to necessarily think that they're lovers. I don't want to necessarily think that they're not. I don't know what's going on there. I'm really intrigued. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting yeah. not to know. It could um, be an intelligence source, a snitch of some sort or an arms dealer. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Well, they're really doing some on, cool on things them. with Leandrin because we have that moment where we feel sorry for her because she's talking about her past and having to deal with the men controlling her life and yeah yeah and and i can tell you that that's they're definitely expanding leandrin a bit in in the show i think they're kind of rolling several characters into leandrin because there are so many characters from the books and they can't get to them all because leandrin in the books is she's a little bit one-dimensional i'll 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 say it um and leandrin in the show as we've seen is is already you know far beyond one dimensional, you know, I, I felt bad for her at one point and that's something I could never admit that I would ever think ever. So yeah, that's. Well, I'm really disturbed by how much I love Leandrin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually, I, I, I need, need counselling. I'm not sure how to deal with this. <laughs> she's, she's a little, an inter- little sympathy for the devil she's there. She's an interesting character. Andrew Love coming out party here. She, yeah. she, she is an incredibly interesting character. And there was a scene that I wanted to bring up. So that scene between her and Maureen, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the grazing of the cheek, the tucking the hair behind the ear. There's definite history there. Right. Is you it think ex-lovers, so? spurned lovers? I, I'm totally reading into that. There's just so much. And mm. also Unrequited. Possibly. It's so creepy. Like it's beautifully yeah. done the way she does it. And it's incredibly creepy at the same time. Right. And um I watched an interview with Kate Fleetwood and she puts a lot of thought into every single movement that she does. And she put a lot of thought into that. And Moraine's reaction is she doesn't move away, she doesn't flinch, and yet it's such a powerful rejection that you see Leandrin. Like Leandrin, again, I'm reading into it a lot, but just on the show, she looks like she's been slapped. Like she tried, she reached out, she tried to, you know, be creepy flirtatious, and she got this rejection back. Again, I just feel like every scene is done with a purpose, and there's so much there. And I'm hoping next season we're going to find out what happened. There's, you know, there, I just I, thought I mean, there's a lot. This whole time, I thought Leandrin was just mocking her. Honestly, um, that's how I took it. Like she was just making fun, um, trying to communicate. I know things, Moraine, and you don't know what I know, but I know something, and that'll keep you up at night. But you know, yours is much more fun. No, go back and watch that scene on slow mo. And the way she closes her cheek. I'm letting on too much now about how I watch the show. (laughs) It's a judgment-free zone. So so how much of the show have you watched in slow motion? (laughs) Um, Pass. (laughs) Um, So in this sexuality discussion, I also wanted to bring up uh, the, and we touched on a little bit already, but the fact that they're, they're showing very visible polyamory. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something from the books. Um, in the books, green Aes Sedai are known for taking multiple orders, and there are often people who whisper that, you know, some of them take all of them to bed with them or multiple of them to bed, you know, but that it, it's like a whispered thing, not an out in the open thing. And they just obviously moved it to a straight out in the open thing in, in the show. At least among the warders, okay it's an open yeah. thing. I don't know. They, they true, haven't yeah. actually said whether or not it is uh, open to the general public that this is how warders and I said I live, but... Yeah, we haven't come across any representation of like a farmhand, a farmhouse where that kind of relationship exists. It seems to be currently secluded just to the green eye Sedai. Yeah. Because well, yeah. there's nothing. We've only seen a couple of farmhouses and it hasn't ended well for. No. No. <laughs> no far- and we don't know whether the Trollocs, well. the Trollocs could be polyamorous. We don't know. <laughs> we have yet to examine their I, culture I, I, enough. It's on the census. Yeah, I, I, I would say that most likely Trollocs are indeed polyamorous. As a matter of fact, no, I think please in, in, stop. Please sleep after the show. These are all images I want in my head. No, um, backing away from the Trollocs and sex. I'm, 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 I'm just saying that um, I'm not really seeing monogamy being a big thing among Trollocs. That that's all I'm saying there. Okay. Oh. Anyway, back to the humans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but, but it's interesting what you're saying about the Aes Sedai and the Warders, because that scene between um, Dana, Matt, and Rand, where Matt mishears or deliberately when Rand says, you know, let's take turns chopping the wood. And oh, Matt's and Matt's like, you think she's like, up oh, for it? Oh, you think she's yeah. up for it? Chopping the wood. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I actually read that as, oh, like, they're much more... They're much more libertine in this world than we are yes. in ours. Yeah. Yeah. So that so that that's your farmer theory. I think there's something there. Again, I'm yeah. just gonna read a lot into everything. DW. Okay, I promise not going back to Trollocs, but we have not seen anything <laughs> of Ogier. And I'm not I'm I'm actually being serious here. We don't know how their relationships handle. We we haven't seen we've seen one Ogier. So it's and it, it, the animated stuff did give us some uh, a little bit of aspect into it, but nothing of family structure or anything like that. And I don't know if the books represented that or if it's an open area that the TV show could interpret and run with. Like it's going to be interesting to see how that develops. Well, um, one thing I will tell you: this is minor, minor, minor spoilers. Um, there is a a culture within the books that openly practices polyamory. Um, and it is not the, the green Aes Sedai, because as I said in the books, they kind of, it's kind of a secretive thing, you know, it's, it's whispered about, but not ever openly acknowledged kind of thing. There is a culture in the books that openly practices polyamory and it is not a secret on any level. Cool. So there is that still to look forward to if, if that's something you're looking for. Very cool. Um, Curious. Yeah, my my um, take on it not necessarily being um, an open thing was naive surprise that like the warders are all just like oh yeah this is completely uh, yeah. normal but when naive realizes that the three are together she's like they don't is that is that a thing <laughs> yeah that that's a good point um, yeah yeah because at that point naive seen Maxim and. Ivonne cuddling, yeah. so she's assuming mm. they're a couple. But then yeah. when Alana comes and like clicks her fingers, and they both get up and they start 
being yeah, very so she so she's heavy. like the two orders together that's not shocking but mm. the two orders and the Aes Sedai all in a thruple suddenly now that's shocking but that could yeah, also just thing. be shocking of is there sexual activity between the orders and the Aes Sedai automatically or is it like yeah. as choice like there's well, there's still more true. to be interpreted from that I, I, I can say that's during true. that scene I got the feeling she was asking about that because she was wondering if Land yeah, that's Lorraine. why I was yeah, thinking. That's how yeah. I read yeah. it too. Mm-hmm. That's, that's like yeah. the only because we know wisdoms the only mm-hmm. they don't marry, and I said I technically are supposed to be single and celibate forever, and so and the only example she's had so far is Maureen and Land, who are very platonic, very brother and sister. You know, their mom and dad who like sleep in separate bedrooms, like well, except for when they don't. Um, like that kind of vibe. And so But still bathe together. Yeah. They you know, the least sexy, sexy scene ever. Um Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so like until that episode I had also gotten the impression that Warders and I said I for the most part like do not bone. Like that's just something they don't do. Um obviously that was naive. Um <laughs> but yeah, I I I think Nynaeve was also on that same vibe. Oh, I like that well, because you're Naive right, because- is right there in her name. So <laughs> <laughs> we have Moraine and Lan, you know, looks platonic. Then you have the scene with Stepin and Karene, again, platonic, brother, sister. And then, like you say, if, you, if she's thinking that wisdoms have this thing, then Aes Sedai is kind of a step up. And she's thinking that they're still, they would be celibate too. I really like that. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Yeah, You're um, welcome. See, I'm I'm smart. No, <laughs> that was just <laughs> me just running on an assumption that just based on what I was seeing. I love these assumptions, though. This is the thing, right? That I've been reading the books for so long, and yeah, I'm still picking up things. And, and you know, non-book readers are going right in there. I'm like, God, I'm so thick. Why didn't I see that? Seriously, 26 years, and I just still miss that. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Dr. Pengalod. What seems to be ailing you today? Doc, it's the strangest thing. Every night after I've gone to bed, just as I start to drift off, I start yelling out strange words like Shire, Frodo, and Gollum. Last night I even yelled Mordor. I really don't know what to do. Ah, yes. I've been seeing this a lot lately. What you're experiencing is called Tolkien in your sleep. It's caused by an acute Lord of the Rings deficiency. Tolkien in my sleep? Oh no, that sounds serious. Don't worry, don't worry. It's really common right now. It can be treated with a very simple prescription. Here, take this. It's called Watch Party Lord of the Rings. Watch Party Lord of the Rings? It's a great podcast where they talk about everything related to Lord of the Rings. They go deep into the lore, talk about the film trilogy, old cartoon adaptations, and Amazon's Lord of the Rings series. Listen to it once a week and you'll stop Tolkien in your sleep in no time. Side effects of Watch Party Lord of the Rings may include happiness, giggling, merrymaking, jollification, witty banter, inner peace, enlightenment, and excessive Tolkien while awake. Caution, Watch Party Lord of the Rings may be addictive. Next topic we have listed is uh, the male gaze, uh, which I think comes out of this discussion on sexuality. Um, And for those out there listening who don't know what what we're referring to when we say the male gaze, we're talking about in, in media and movies, a lot of times anything with any kind of sexuality to it is aimed towards titillating males uh, or, or your, your stereotypical cishet male, um, which, you know, it, they are addressing the male gaze. They don't care about the gaze of other people who are not 
cishet males. Yes. See um, also Baywatch. Well, yeah. It also there's your platonic example. And yeah. and using Baywatch, it also might be wise to point out for those that aren't as familiar with the term that that also means even the men are represented from what men feel they want to be. So yeah, like mm-hmm. often it gets thrown around that he man is is well yeah but that's that that's the male being sexualized and it's like no no that's no, not that, that, the that, women's gaze of wanting to see he man that's the male gaze of that's the ideal man and that's what I want to be yeah that that's the the right. ideal of what they want to be exactly and, yes um I the best thing I can think of to explain the male gaze is the first Suicide Squad movie the one that isn't good. Um, there's a scene <laughs> that right in the middle of it where, uh, Harley Quinn smashes out a window and then bends over to get a purse. And it just, there's a tight shot on her butt as she bends over and that there was no need for that shot other than to appease the male gaze. They did it in, and, and, they right. did it in, uh, in justice league too. DC, unfortunately in the movie universe has done yeah. Gal Gadot when she's waiting for the, you know, the plane to arrive with, you know, Batman on it. And there's just that moment where it's like, let's show her in tight pants and put that in the forefront in, in focus. Yeah. And the plane's a background thing, really. It's like, oh, come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can tell the yeah. difference between that. I mean, that, that's got something to do with the directors. I mean, you know, there's got to be, you look at uh, Patty Jenkins work with the, the Wonder Woman films. There's really not a lot of that. Yeah. And it's, it's absolutely. And she, she did when you get Joss specifically Whedon say she was avoiding any, any male gaze in her version of Wonder Woman because she wanted Wonder Woman to, you know, be Wonder Woman, not be a sexual fantasy for the, the men watching. And what do you know? Armor I, that I made it. sense on the yeah. people. Armor yeah. that made um, sense. But bringing the discussion <laughs> back around to Wheel of Time. Um, the, the whole reason that we were explaining what that is, is so that we can talk about male gaze in the wheel of time. And I'm going to say, I didn't see a whole lot of that, that male gaze happening there. Um, there's really not, yeah. there's, there, there's not a lot of, you know, the, 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 you know, exposed skin and yeah. you know, skin tight outfits or, or, or the lingering like on, on certain areas just to titillate a little bit and, you know, right. Um, there, there was nudity, but it was always incidental nudity and, and, mm-hmm. you know, other, other than I'm, I'm, I'll be the one to come right out and say it. Lan's ass was spectacular, <laughs> but that was not, that was not a male gaze issue because cishet white males are not looking at Lan's ass. That was so, like, how could you it, not? It, it was not but it was not a male gaze situation. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, I got a lot of re- a lot of friends to watch the show just based on that scene. <laughs> a lot of female head friends were like, "Oh, I'll watch the show. It's interesting." So, well done, Rafe. Yeah, yeah. just start them yeah. off on that first scene. episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and- aside from nudity, the the general costuming and armoring and everything like that doesn't accentuate like you normally see and there's like yeah, greg yeah. was saying not a lot of skin showing that doesn't need to be there they're in a cold right. environment and they're actually covered up no boob I mean, there, there was only one there was only <laughs> yeah. one uh uh feminine presenting character that i can think of that that really presented as in a sexual way and that to me was alana and it fit her character mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She, and she's, she's just 
Yeah, she's just like, just a libertine. So of course she's yeah. going to wear something with a low cut on it. You know that that's just right. her. But even then, but like was the also- way the camera like focused on a lot, it wasn't like on her tits. It wasn't like eyeing her up and down very slowly. It wasn't yeah. you know. Um, making suggestions about her relationships with the waters like you didn't need it you know yeah um it was just very respectful and you know there with swan and moraine there was ample opportunity for like someone to live out their lesbo porn like girl on girl action there was none of that it was very sexy it was very seductive um but it was i mean it was it was nice i think that's the only way i can describe it and Saima, you had something to add. Yeah, so on um, the scene with Egwene, where she is um, abused by the White Cloaks. So mm-hmm. we were talking about how you don't really see um, obvious nudity. But that is the one scene, I think, that you see a lot of nudity, and yet it's really tastefully done. And that was also, yeah. it was beautifully handled, and it was directed by a woman. And you get the complete lack of sexual focus. Yeah. Right. That is that is abuse that is done as abuse, and the way the white cloaks handle her, they it's like they're they're handling a dirty animal. Right. The way that yeah. they're kind of moving her face from side to side, the way that she's holding herself. I just thought, I can't remember the name of of the director for that episode, but it was just everybody involved in that scene. That's how it should be done, right? I just feel like there's so much about the show that is setting the bar for how to do things going forward. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, and, um, and on that, it, like, talking about the tropes that are often used in these kinds of shows, um, just in general, not, not specifically um, Wheel of Time, but you see a lot of tropes that do that sexualization or like the the moment where somebody was taking a bath and they're going to get out of the water and the flip of the hair and all none of that is present in this and on the other side you know as i mentioned you know as we started this conversation that some of it is also the male representation of what the male is our hero is not the like stereotypical what man is supposed to be toxic masculinity he's just a guy there's no yeah. John Wayne in him at all. Yeah, he he's he's not overly buff. He's not overly brutish. He's not he's we didn't need Conan. We didn't need the Hercules to come in and and we've got a guy and he happens yeah. to have some powers and the fact that they played that so well with all of the guys helped you not really know who was going to turn out to be who. Because yes, there wasn't like true. here's our male hero clearly. It was here are some males. Here are some females. Let's see what happens. You don't know who the the main character is going to be. Yeah, they yeah. they all sort of have an, an just this everyday person thing going, and it, you know the, the book readers know who the dragon is. We didn't, yeah. and yeah. it was a mystery. And even then, when they announced it, it's like I didn't really trust it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We all that, that we had a whole chat and episode. <laughs> yes. I love listening to you all saying, oh, actually, no, I think this is, this is the red herring is going somewhere. I was chuckling so much. (laughs) And I wanted you guys to hold on to the red herring for as long as you, as as long as possible. But I finally realized that no, the, the the production itself is saying that Rand is absolutely the dragon reborn. This isn't a secret anymore. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, I and I can say honestly, if I had been watching that without with having never read the books, I would not have believed it either. I, I mm-hmm. you know, they were they were red herringing, herringing, <laughs> red herringing, 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 Throwing off a, the scent. Yeah, that was there, a Harley yeah. MacGuffin motorcycle there. That. Uh, uh, yeah, they, they were doing that so much that it, you know, even when they finally said, yeah, this is the answer, you're like, no, no. I don't trust you anymore. I've no. been hurt. I don't believe you I've anymore. been betrayed before. I don't trust you. Um, we had to witness Brand the Broken. We don't trust anybody anymore. They've called the Wolf truth. too many times. Perrin <laughs> called Wolf. Literally. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Moving on. Um, uh, our next topic of discussion is uh, ableism. And uh, I, I decided I'm going to cede over to Saima for this topic. Uh, so, Saima, do you want to address the uh, ableism or lack thereof in the show? Thank you, Ruach. So, we've um, had quite a few conversations in um, our Facebook groups about representation and, and also disability ableism. And there are four characters where I saw this really, I, I, I saw it, right? So it'd be great to see what you all thought about it. So we've got, mm-hmm. I love Papa Sanche being an awesome dad and managing quite well with missing hand. And yeah. the fact that the focus isn't on the fact that he has a missing hand, he's obviously managed really well. I mean, we don't know when Swan's mother went off the scene, but the fact that I'm assuming that he's raised her for a while, he's looked after her. He's taught her how to fish. You know, he's taught her his trade. And it, the way the camera, again, doesn't focus on it. Yeah. It's, part, it's part of something that he is. And, you know, you could even miss it. Well, we, we, I, and I did. We talked about this off air. Um, you said something about Papa Sanche being a, in, in a good example of, of good ableist portrayal. And I was like, wait, what? And I was like, oh, that's why he was trying to untie the knots with his mouth because he yeah. didn't have another. I didn't even realize like they weren't focusing on the fact that he had a disability. They were just focusing on him doing his daily chores. And mm-hmm. yeah. And, I, and I love the fact that you you missed that right? Yeah. because, you know, you're looking at, at the detail and yet it was the bigger picture that you were focusing on. It wasn't that detail of the fact yeah, that, oh, yeah. actually. It, it's missing. And then there's another shot where they come back onto the shore and you see the smoke and there's a side shot of his hand. But again, it's it's slightly out of focus, but they, sh- they show it in subtle ways, which to me just amplifies how great he is as a character. Yeah. And you can also kind of tell that it was deliberate because they made it a point to mention that even when Suwan enabled him by untying the knot that that was the first time she was able to untie the knot. Yeah. So they've gone on their lives with him being able to get those knots out on his own or have her come over and help with her hands. But ultimately he was doing it by himself up until that point. So she's not doing it to help him. She's doing it more really because, Oh, look, I've learned how to do this. It was practice for her, not an assistance. Showing off a little bit. Which is why he went out of his way to tell her, don't rely on your right. power. But also that was one of Swan's knots. concerns whenever she was getting sent off to the White Tower is, 
you're mm-hmm. going to need help with the catch. You know, I, I, I'm not going to be there to help you, you know? So it was addressed slightly, you know, a little bit, but yet it was something that was just a reality of the situation. Yeah. Well, and, and you could also say though, any parent who is raising one child and works as a fisher could always use the help of that child. Exactly. So yeah. her worrying about him not being able to bring in enough catch is not necessarily a marker on his hand. Yep. And it's also don't get reliant on the power because you need to kn- know how to do the knots, you know, regardless of whether you can access the power or not. Right. So it's yeah. again about, you know, focusing on your strengths and not losing those skills that you've developed just because something new comes along. Yeah. A knot is a knot, whether you're tying with your hands or with the one source. And then you right. beautifully see her as an as an adult learning her knots while she's waiting for Maureen to come in, right? To the yeah, hut. Yeah. I just that was oh. such a nice that was touch. such a lovely touch. Such yeah. Nice touch. Yeah. Yeah. So um another character is Uno. And mm-hmm. I love how his scar wraps around his head. Like again, it's such great detail that they could have just put, you know, a patch on and it's like, okay, he's, you know, does does he have an eye? Is he missing an eye or whatever? But the fact that they give the detail of the fact that he's obviously been in a battle, he's been severely scarred and, you know, was there an Aes Sedai on hand or not? You know, did she heal him enough? Because you can still see the red that's wrapping all the way around the back of his head. I just love the fact that they give such detail they really thought about how this has affected him and how it looks and what he has to deal with um, yeah. every day and how it happened you know i mean did you can you, honestly you can lose an eye doing a lot of things yeah. you know it it informs your character if it's like in a, an obvious like battle other yeah. than oh i had an infection or something yeah. you know yeah. I, I was bending over to get a drink out of the water and got and stabbed it on some bamboo because I wasn't paying attention, you know. Yeah. That. Yeah, I I, al- I almost did that the other night. Uh, <laughs> just like leaning down to get something on my bedside table before I got into bed, the lights were off and I had like a tube of lotion or something with a pointy end right in the forehead and I freaked out for a half a second. It's like, that was almost my eye. And then so, you missed your opportunity to become an awesome warrior because clearly the one leads to the other. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Well, I don't know. But, <laughs> I got a bad what, shoulder what, too. So, what I love about Uno though is that you know it kind of offsets the fact that he could otherwise be seen in, in kind of a comical way because he's the one that curses. Right? He has these fun curses yeah. that he does, mm-hmm. and also the fact that you know the fact that they've chosen a short character yeah. who is could have been the comic relief, and yet he is this awesome warrior. You see it. You see yeah. it immediately that he is he battle is scarred, he is hardened. And so to me, it gives greater depth to his character. The fact that mm. you can see how awesome he is. And yet he's also, and, you know, really fun to be around. And I have to say that that was a little shocking for me because when they announced Guy Roberts was playing Uno, I saw the picture of Guy Roberts and I was like, okay, I can imagine him as Uno. That He can absolutely play the part. And then I saw him in the show and he was a lot shorter than I had envisioned because to me uno you know robert jordan tended to describe his male protagonists as tall like there are so many people yeah there's so many people that are over six foot with axe handle wide shoulders in this world you have no idea so (laughs) the fact that they decided to take uno and keep him as badass as he was and and have a shorter actor play him i love that and and kudos to guy roberts for for doing it i mean he's 
knocking that one out of the park. Well, especially if we know he's listening. So, you know, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. But Guy, Guy Roberts <laughs> is absolutely our number one fan. Yeah. Um, Sooner fan club here. Yeah. And, and he's a wheelie as well, right? So he's, he's read the books. So he uh, yeah, totally yeah, loves it all so. as well. Yeah. It, is that, is that what uh, book fans are being called now? Wheelies? That's what I I'm claiming that I know I know some people don't like it, but yeah. you know why? Actually, Ruwak, it was after one of the threads that we did in the Facebook group, and I mentioned it, and then somebody came back and said, "Oh, that's fantastic! Is that what we is that what Wheel of Fan, Wheel of Time fans who are disabled get to call themselves?" And I oh. Said, oh no! But yes, from now on, oh, yes, nice. there you go. I am a wheelie. I love it. <laughs> I think there was something I on Twitter it. about the 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 show. Um, was kind of doing a poll of like, what should we be called? And Weedy came in really low. But I was like, no, I love it. I'm, I'm claiming it. I'm, yeah, I'm definitely Weedy. came Weedy in really unite. low. Um, yes. That actually brings up something um, I've been thinking about for a while and wanting to bring up on the show and just keep forgetting to bring up. Uh, what are what are we going to name our fans? Um, I, mm-hmm. I feel like our fans need need their own name. Uh, we need a, a name for our group of fans. So Whoop Waters. <laughs> um yeah if 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 anybody out there has any better ideas than what DW just said i've set the bar uh, really low yeah. for everyone yeah you can send those All recommendations in, uh, will beat mine something just came yeah. to came to me based on uh, one of the words that we were laughing at that ruak uses a lot how about the astuties Mm. Astuties? Yeah, it's really bad, but it's just because Ruak says so often. That's a really astute observation. Ah, yes. Uh, (laughs) And it it has has a different meaning for us. It's a code word for, yeah, you've got something there, and I'm not going to give you the spoiler. Yeah. Basically. But yeah, that's great. Let's let's hear from people what they think. That's awesome. Yeah. So there's also the mention of the blind Aes Sedai who prophesied the dragon's rebirth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't really yeah. get a lot of information about her, but I am just going to assume that we're going to be hearing more about that. She was apparently born with eyes that were white. So she was born blind mm. and somehow she found out she could channel. She became an Aes Sedai. Um, yeah, I the, think that's a uh, guitar Moroso. So who, that is confirmed as the, as guitar, right? Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. The, that is confirmed as guitar. And in the books, she was the Amerlin at the time of, the birth of the ra- of the dragon reborn. I, th- I thought in the books that she was the keeper. Wasn't it the um, keeper that ended I, up? And then the Amelin was the one that said to them to hush it up. Well, I've never had anybody on the show who could challenge my, my, my <laughs> statements before. So uh, I've gotten too used to just uh, saying book what fight, I want. Book fight, book fight, book um, fight. Yeah, All I'm, of I'm, us I'm are just, just going to go, sure, Ruark. Yeah. I'm going to be so, shame, so shameful if, if I'm wrong. But uh, just, uh, yeah. you, you, you might be correct. I, you know, a... Uh, uh, there is a lot to this world, and I know a lot of it, but there are some fine details that, that are hard to remember at times. So you might be correct. I might be correct. We'll find out in the next episode. Yeah. And, uh, whoever was correct is probably going to do a whole lot whoever, of Whoever running. read it recently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. This is Ruark. I'm throwing this in in the edit in post uh, to let you all know that Saima was correct. I was incorrect, uh, and I had incorrectly stated that Guitaro Moroso was the Amerlin seat at the time. Uh, she was just the Keeper of the Chronicles. I have toe. Um, Saima, you were absolutely correct. Uh, you, 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 you got the point there. Uh, so, with that, uh, back to the episode. <laughs> 
So, and then the, the final one that um, I, I've kind of put in the list, but you don't really see her up close, is Sarai, the ex-hired killer with the scarred face who lives with oh, the Tuatha'an. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have Perrin referencing her and you don't really get a close-up of her, but I don't know whether she's she can see through that one eye. She wasn't wearing a patch, but she had a lot of scarring on that side. So these were just the four that I picked up. And again, I think the way that they're handling them already is just beautiful and perfect. And I'm really looking forward to more representation, especially among the cultures that we've yet to meet. Yeah. And I'm always hopeful that actual disabled actors might find roles in real of time. Yeah. So I, um, I had it on my list to, to tweet the casting agency about this. I'm rubbish on Twitter, but I'm going to try and get back on there. And the casting agency is awesome. Well, so I as, as we know that anything we do on this show gets picked up and, and put into oh, the Amazon listens itself. directly so, to us. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we are happen. the hotline to Amazon. So, right. so ooh, get on ooh. that Amazon. We want to see more, more, uh, um, disabled, Yes, please, Amazon. Um, yep. In roles. Yes. And that gives us a nickname, Manifesties. No? <laughs> Anybody? Okay, but, but you we're guys not are just going to try every wait, wait. really bad we're idea. We're not that comes trying to, to nickname ourselves. Her question was, what should our fans be called? Yeah, but we're, get, we're getting out the bad right. ones ourselves, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We manifest. We're so they, we, we're the, well, no, we're the manifestors, yeah. I guess. They would be the manifestees. Uh, no, forget it. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. Katie and Jordan have some lovely art they would love for you all to check out. They have custom bookmarks, prints, and even these beautiful book page posters that have passages from some of our favorite fantasy series like Lord of the Rings, A Song of Ice and Fire, and, of course, The Wheel of Time. You all really should check out 4Cats Boutique on Etsy and get yourself some bookmarks and amazing artwork. That's the number four and cats with a K. 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. <laughs> okay, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get this thing back on the rails, but uh, I'm going to try here. Um, Where are we going? We don't need rails. <laughs> um, our next topic uh, coming right out of, of that is uh, ageism and sizeism, which are two things that we see a lot in in the media um most of us have seen it for most of our lives um you age out of being a a an actor who can be in a lead role and you can size out of being an actor in a lead role and you know it seems like everybody in a lead role has to be beautiful thin young etc 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 and that's not something i'm seeing in this show um yeah. any thoughts on on well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's really great. Rosamund Pike is not a ingenue by any means. She's a veteran actor. She's been around, uh, and she's leading this ensemble. And, and you, know, you know, that's I think you're, you, what you're saying right there is directly addressing the point that I was making. Yeah, she should not be considered a veteran older actor. She's mm. still perfectly young. Yeah. But oh yeah, she's, yeah. She, but, but she's but she's been around well no but but, but but to the point from what hollywood normally puts up there yeah Yeah. what the industry normally puts up there as the lead characters you got people who've lived hard and they're 25 now yeah at most like (laughs) the typical casting for maureen would be a 30 year old i guess you know yeah Yeah. and that would be considered mature in hollywood yes yeah and she is still being portrayed as Sexually a active, badass. romantically involved, mm-hmm. 
strong someone who has a life. Yeah, yeah. it's. And- I'm it, it's tell you it's to, really oh, great that ahead. that happens because she's what in her 40s, I believe. She's early 40s, 41. Yeah, yeah, early 40s. Which you know, by you know, th- th- you're not over the hill at that point. No. I mean, come on. Well, I'm over the hill at that point, but well, yeah. most people are not over the hill at that point. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. Yeah, you know, so it, it's 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 really ridiculous the the ageism that Hollywood, you know, especially towards women, uh, yeah. you know. There are unfortunately a lot of a lot of women who are fantastic actors who can't get these roles, and it's a damn shame, you know. Yeah. Well, speaking almost you know somewhat directly from the industry, um, one of the reasons why a lot of people go into voiceover like I am is because they don't necessarily represent the archetypes that are getting cast on camera. Mm-hmm. But they may be able to play them by voice because they have all the skill. They just don't have that look, right. that slimness, that age range, that everything. But, you know, in voiceover, you have Nancy Cartwright, mm-hmm. who's playing Bart Simpson yeah. and has been playing Bart Simpson forever. And there's no she can't age out of right. that. She, her voice will literally have to go away for her to no longer play Bart Simpson. Right. And so main characters can be played by uh any look, any so you know, some some genders cross over. Mm-hmm. It, it's a beautiful thing within voice acting that does not happen as often, and beautiful to see happen here in Wheel of Time. Right. And yeah, the, the pretty much every Aes Sedai that we see that's a, a main named character, with maybe the exception of Alana, has that more aged look to them. Especially the the sitters in the hall, mm-hmm. all of them. Are very aged. Well, uh, I don't know if it's a very aged, but yeah. there is a range. The Hollywood, there. there's there, the Hollywood. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. There is a maturity aged. that yeah. like, if you figure that you have to study at the tower for so long before you even are allowed to take the shawl, and, they yeah. look like they've done that. And this is the point where I want to address a difference between the books and the show. Yeah, um, which is in the books. The telling thing about Aes Sedai, it's not their ring. It's not anything like that. The way you can tell an Aes Sedai is they are ageless. And that is the only description given. Mm-hmm. Ageless in, in a way that makes them kind of stand out. Um, a lot of people who read the books seem to think that that just means that they all look like 20-year-old supermodels. Um, those people are dead wrong. Um, the, the description in the book is like, you can look at them and at one moment think that they might be in their late twenties and the next minute think they might no, actually they're 60. No, wait, no, they can't be that old. They're, they're definitely right in between in their forties. No, they're definitely 20, you know? So in my opinion, in my head, it was always just kind of that, uh, um, glamour shots, smear some Vaseline on the camera lens filter on everybody all the time. Um, you know, just kind of smear them out and then they they don't look old they don't look young they just look kind of odd which oh go ahead Simon yeah but just to continue your point about the books that this was something that I have I feel like Jordan had a weirdness with youth and young women and older men in the books okay um you it comes across really strongly in the books and I'm really glad they made this change so there was this question about oh are they going to have this ageless effect that's going to be applied because it was like oh all these women that have been cast for the Aes Sedai they're you know they're not ageless it's like well hello it's not a real yeah. thing they yeah. have to apply <laughs> effects to that um and Rafe said that they he didn't say they weren't going to do it completely he said something that was a little bit more cryptic about you know that you're not always going to see it so I think there's going to be some yeah. 
stage where we will see it. But in the books, everybody, like Ruark said, looked really young. And the only way you could tell that an Aes Sedai had worn the shawl for a really long time was if, oh my goodness, if she had a if she had a streak of white in her hair, she was really yeah, if she had gray really hair. old. Yeah. yeah. And, and if she actually had gray hair, that was, you know, looking yeah. in the hundreds. And the fact that they, you know, did away with this, I think deals with this ageism. And like David said, we have some fantastic actresses um in the hall. And there's some shots yeah. in the X-ray behind the scenes, the shot, you know, the the stills you can get. So you can see the three by three of um, the hall of the the sitters in the hall, mm-hmm. and I really recommend everyone go and, go and have a look at that. You get the beautiful shots of of who's playing who, the costumes, just it's really beautiful, and there is so much diversity and representation just yes. in the hall. I think it was fantastically yeah. done. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, David. And yeah, one other thing that I noticed um, going back to their casting decisions and it's not necessarily about age but when you talk about what the western view of a beautiful woman is and then you take a look at leandrin her jawline is exactly the opposite of what that perfect view that you normally see in a western actress is and it doesn't make her any less beautiful but it's very different and she's someone that we get amazing close-up shots of her face and her expressions. And that's something that is accentuated. It's something that I noticed the first time I saw her. And it's something that works really well for the character. Eyes. Yes. And complexion. Sort of sharp features. It works for the character of a sharp, striking, you know, uh, somebody who's really all about, you know, that, that walking that straight line, walking that, that edge it's the yeah it's the idea that in casting you can also cast somebody who looks like the characteristics that you are embodying and it doesn't need to we don't need to necessarily you know pigeonhole them in beauty we can pigeon i mean not pigeonhole them but we can we can let the character aspects be portrayed by how they carry themselves how they look all of that can help make a complete character Mm -hmm. and i also wanted to add that this isn't, we, we're talking a lot about the Aes Sedai. One of the things that I found beautiful was they go through villages, they're in taverns and everything like that. And instead of like you got in a lot of, of uh, medieval or fantasy or that kind of aspect of story where everybody in town is, you know, under 30 because you're clearly dead by 35. <laughs> this, like all the villages had a wide range of agents, mm-hmm. had yeah. a wide range of people existing in each village and it made it again as we keep coming back to this point it made it more real it made it more believable and let you delve into the story instead of wow look there's not a single person in this whole bar that's old enough to drink (laughs) and in fact in the Gwen ceremony it was a point to have older women surrounding Mm -hmm. her and you know she was she was quite literally the youngest one involved you know other than Nynaeve who was the next oldest and but everybody else around her mothers aunts grandparents um like their age um their maturity was the point grounding mm-hmm. her welcoming her into this community and when you know she returns to the tavern again you see most people in that tavern were you know middle aged older you know Egwene and her friends absolutely stood out by being young mm-hmm. Isla and, and Rain are another great example of that as well. 
Yeah, very much so. One, I, I took away from that scene of her getting her braid that it wasn't necessarily as you looked around, it's like, oh, there are old people. It's like, there is maturity here. Yeah. There is a wide variety of people from different walks and different you know, experience levels that are all here to support her. And you can see that life, that life experience in everyone's yeah, eyes. It was, it, was, it was a council of, you know, not necessarily elders, not necessarily w- wisdoms, but the, the, the people the ma- who- The mature women of the town. Yeah. 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 This well came there. up in the, uh, in the trailer. So my husband, you know, I watch a lot of fantasy shows and he'll kind of look over my shoulder and just be disgusted. He's like, why is everyone a teeny bopper? Where are the real people? And when he saw the trailer, the first thing he said was, wow, real women. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and that was because the, you, that's not yeah. what you normally see in a fantasy show. It is, you know, 90210 yeah. with dragons. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. Actually. Yeah, that, that dragon's got a few bags under its eyes. We need to go back and fix that post. <laughs> Yeah, actually, the what you just said there, um, Siobhan, Do you have the the show notes open over there? Um, oh yeah. Because uh, I I put something in our notes uh, before the the show came out, and I was looking for friends to to do this with, and I showed the the trailer, and your response to the trailer was just fantastic, and I'd like you to read that to us if you could. Yeah, so this it, this it, was it, 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 it's okay. Um, <laughs> if do you have it up now? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, okay. I, sorry, I thought you were still looking for it, so I was trying to give you give you time. I'll cut this little part out and go ahead. So this was back when uh, I knew nothing about the show. I I knew that Ruark was going to be putting this podcast together, and I went and watched the trailer to see what I thought, and so I sent him this this uh this note comments while watching the trailer oh look a medieval style setting that has non-white people and more than two women with speaking parts wow this is pretty i love the set design actually lots of non-white actors and lots of women okay this is really impressively pretty Actual creepy ass monsters with the ever shitting fuck was that thing? <laughs> okay, now I'm excited for this show. <laughs> okay, wait, wait. I want to go. I want to throw back real oh, quick. No. Can we be the ever loving shitters? <laughs> or the, the ever shitting fuckers? It's the ever shitting fuckers. <laughs> ever shitting fu- like some some combination of that needs to be part of our dev. Sorry, th- those were beautiful the notes. ESFs. So there you go. No, the, and and. <laughs> Try to get back on track. And uh, yeah, Siobhan, uh, when you when you posted that, I was just like, yes, that is exactly what I was hoping people would see in this trailer. This, you know, because I mean, like I said in the last episode, I wanted as many people to be able to see themselves in this show as I was able to see myself in the in the books. And yeah, your response to that was like, yes, beautiful. That is exactly what I was hoping it would be. And and yeah, and I mean, and, they have. And- it was it was completely spontaneous. The trailer made a massive impression on me because what yeah. I was expecting was, as Simon said, nine hundred two one zero with dragons, and what I got was something so much more three dimensional. Yeah, absolutely. So this kind of touches on sizeism, right? Mm-hmm. Is that it's not it's not nine hundred two one zero. Even our main characters have a a large, broad range. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean. 
Perrin is but very I'll- different from Matt and very different from Rand. All three of them have a different range of body style. Mm-hmm. Well, also, even as we as we go through this story, if somebody came across that was a size zero, it would just seem like more blended out. Yeah. It, we, it it's not necessarily trying to avoid it or push it in our face. It's just we're not going to make that one of the factors we're using to decide who's in this. Yeah, right. I I will say, uh, and Simon can back me up on this. The the one area where I I wish they weren't so blind about the size was when casting Bran Althor. Yeah, um, I, I already said I had issues with that yeah. in the last episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I'm sorry, but innkeepers in this world need to be fat. Can we can we <laughs> can we say something about never trust a skinny innkeeper? Oh yeah, yeah. That's the thing in the wheel of time. Never yeah, trust that, that, a skinny that's, innkeeper. That's a, that's a never trust a skinny cook. You know that's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> same yeah, idea. Their own never food. trust a skinny on? innkeeper. So when they showed right. Bran and and he was fairly trim, I was I I was uh, I don't know about that, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But you know yeah, that is one thing I'm still waiting for, and you kind of see it with Tom a little bit, mm-hmm. but I still haven't seen the somewhat obese main character in this show yet. Or to, you know, as, as the follically challenged of the world, a main character that is balding, but isn't because they're trying to make him homeless or, you know, beaten, defective some way. Oh, you know? yeah. Then again, again, we come back to Bran. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I do love the cat, the, the actor that's playing Bran, but I miss book Bran so much. Yeah. But maybe I, we'll I see would, him popping up somewhere else in a different I I would say that uh, most of the masculine presenting uh, crew of this podcast could definitely be a good stand-in for Bran. Yep. Yeah. I I assume. (laughs) I'm saying yep, like I know, but it's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Now I know what you're talking about. Absolutely not. Bran is awesome. So yes, it would be, it would be great. Yeah. We we are um, not talking to saying any of this over a character that we don't absolutely love. So Put it there. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there yeah. there were there were characters from the two rivers that other people got very very upset about the changes, and I understood, but I didn't agree. But with Bran, yeah, I didn't actually get upset until I saw him on the show. Yeah, because I was Too like, skinny. oh, can't have yeah. a skinny innkeeper. Skinny innkeepers, you can't trust them. Yeah, and I just you know, in my you cuddle Bran. Bran's like yeah. really cuddly. But also supposed to be he, a big teddy bear. He has power as well. Yeah. He, he, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Miss mm, Bran. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry but, for your loss. Just coming well, back. Look, to- we, we had 100 <laughs> pages in the two rivers before they even left in the first book. You guys got very, very little of that. 50 so, of them were describing Bran. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really, his his girth is described in a lot of detail. So this is what I, what I mean when I'm missing it. I've been living with his girth for a long time. <laughs> that could be taken out of context, but onwards. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was trying not to Just be the say, I'm English. I'm English. Girth means girth, not whatever you Americans think it means. Oh no, it still means girth here. Just we're talking girth. about girth of a different area. Yes. Okay, I'm I'm me. So moving on. Moving on. I'll send um, you some fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> As long as it's not got Trollocs So moving sex, on, let's go fun. back to yeah. Trollocs. You know, see, there you go. You, you knew I was thinking the same thing. You ruined it. Um, but what, I, what I wanted to say was that while the main cast, cast remain on the slender side, there, 
the fact that again is it's the male gaze again right yeah. you see them wearing comfortable clothes that have belts which give extra bulk they have coats that are bulky so it's not about accentuating the how slender everybody is yeah. and actually kind of relating back to to the to the, to the gaze again that it's lan is the one that you see uh well full you know um you see his bottom, so he's nude in the bath. You see him in bed after he and Nynaeve have, you know, made love. You don't, Nynaeve is already fully clothed, right? So mm. it's, you. they're not highlighting the skinniness of the of the actresses. But yeah. I did notice, though, that Egwene had lost weight between episode six and seven, but that had been between that really long period where they had gone um, during the lockdowns. Yeah. So mm -hmm. she seemed to have lost a little bit of um just a, a youth, youthful. Yeah. Well, and that was also the time that, that they were traveling um, with, with the, with the Tuathuan. So, so, you know, they, they had a couple months of travel time to account for that. She could have been eating, more eating turnip weight. stew yeah. and a lot less protein. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. That's true. Actually that actually works. And I didn't think about that in terms yeah. of a in world in show reason, but mm -hmm. I, we, we do have some curvier characters. So we have the, the yellow sister. Um, mm -hmm. She's not given a name in the show. Um, and I'm assuming that we might, you know, I, I can tell her. you one thing for certain that she was not Chesmal fucking Emery. <laughs> I am so happy to have somebody on the show now that can get some of my jokes and laugh appropriately at them. <laughs> and everyone else is silent. Yeah. Yeah. Laugh appropriately. We laugh in, in complete confusion. We laugh appropriately. Right. Sorry. We'll, we'll come back to this when it happens in the yes. show. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there are a couple of things I've made Rourke promise. They'll let us know when those things come uh, back. Okay, around. the Chesmal Emery thing, it, 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 this doesn't matter in the show. Um, there was an, a report from Rafe um, talking about behind the scenes and them making the changes and writing things into the show and blah, 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 blah. And um, there is, uh, uh, they have people involved there, Sarah Nakamura being the main one who is our book readers who know this story inside and out. They're like me times 10. And, and, you know, Sarah's job is to keep them from doing something stupid. The, the staff writers who have not read the books and, and are just working from a vague outline. Like making Bran a skinny guy. Yeah, mm. um, exactly. Uh, <laughs> she might have so, lost that uh, argument maybe. Yeah. Mm. yeah, true. Uh, so one of the things is they, uh, they had apparently written a yellow sister into a scene. May have been that one, may have been the yellow sister in, in mm. that was put to the torch. We don't know. Um, but apparently the writer decided that that was going to be Chesmal Emery, which is a name that they apparently had just Googled for yellow sister and came up with a name Chesmal Emery. Um, and Rafe had to come in and say, no, I'm sorry, but it cannot be Chesmal fucking Emery. You cannot just put the first name that you Google in there. And that just kind of became a, a, an in-joke in, in the super fans in the background. Yeah, it, it, the Chesmal fucking Emery is not in the picture, okay? <laughs> she will be in the picture later on, and yes. it's quite important, so you can't yeah. bring her in in this way really yeah. early. And this is why you need people who have read the books to be like, oh yeah, this might seem really irrelevant right now, but in season four, this is going to be really important. Really, really, really fucking relevant, yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, DW. Then. Well, just, you know, to go back to the topic of the size of some of our characters, like just looking at the, the lead characters 
their sizes all make sense for who they are too. Mm. You know, Rand is a farmer. He's, he's, uh, I mean, he's uh, got a, a flock of, of, you know, with sheep, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. He's, yeah, a shepherd. She, he's got a flock of sheep that he's, you know, having to maintain and, and constantly moving around and he's going to get physical labor out of that. His, he's not bulked. He's not super strong, but he's also not going to be necessarily out of shape yeah. because the jobs that he does are going to keep him that way. You've got a blacksmith. You're going to see some strength in the arms because he's a blacksmith. That makes sense. As a matter of fact, your skinniest person comes from a home where food may be questionable. Yeah. Like, we don't know mm-hmm. whether he's fed frequently or how much he's had to steal to eat. And so him being on the skinnier side of the group of them made perfect sense. And I love that that was considered more than we need somebody whose body type is going to be attractive to somebody. Right. Siobhan. So um, Simon posted some of the stills from the x-ray to our, our group chat before the last episode. And I've just been kind of going through through them and looking at the trios of Aes Sedai from each Aja that are in the tower. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing like four or five women with very obvious gray hair and wrinkles. And there's also a brown Aes Sedai who is on the larger size. And it looks like they've really um, costumed her in such a way to emphasize that she has wide shoulders with these um, mm. very large square um, shoulder pieces and mm-hmm. a leather belt that very much emphasizes the size of her waist. So not only do they have a larger woman in a role, but they have costumed her in such a way that emphasizes her size, that this is a large and physically intimidating woman. Yeah, It's more of a fat pride thing than a a shameful type thing. Mm. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, Siobhan. Yeah, because I I really loved her belt. I was like, wow, they're really going for it, you know? Yeah. It's not a, it's not a, it's a wide belt and actually the leather looks like it's quite thick as well. She looks, she looks very physically imposing. Now the brown Aja is the historians and the teachers. So, you know, but I could see her as a green Aja as well. Someone who looks like she could throw down. Well, the interesting thing about the green Aja is, you know, Karene, she looks like, you know, like a stocky, muscled warrior, you know, and I don't, I'm not going to say what I was going to say just in case it's a spoiler, but I, I love the fact that she had real presence in that sense as well. Like she had authority, she was power and she looked like it as well. Mm-hmm. And also I really loved um, Alana because I felt that she was on the more curvier side. And the fact that she's so sensual and she's, you know, she's like snacking, like she's a lot of with her food and eating. Mm-hmm. But I then actually found out that um, I saw an interview with uh, Priyanka Bose and she was saying that she was unhappy with her size because she had just come off um, a previous role and she was carrying excess weight. So she's actually been posting that she's been getting back to what she feels more comfortable as. So I, th- I still thought it was great to see her in season one. Yeah as being more curvier, but the fact that they, again, it's not, they didn't say to her, okay, you've got however many weeks before we start filming, you better get in shape. They just brought her in, put her straight into the, into the role. It was not about her size. And again, I don't think we can underestimate how important that is. So 
Uh, we're now an hour and 30 some odd minutes into this podcast. Uh, the second episode of what was supposed to be one episode of a podcast. And we still have some pretty big topics that we still want to cover. Um, we still want to discuss, uh, mental health and we want to discuss religion. And the, the way that this discussion has been going so far, I think each of those is going to end up being their own episode in the future but i think uh next episode maybe we'll change it up a little bit do a, a little bit of a lighter topic for a palate cleanser and then come back to to those other two topics a little further down the line but uh yeah for now i think we're going to wrap up this episode of uh diversity rep representation and inclusion and we're going to move on to uh mailbag uh we've got some mail mailbag mailbag that was beautiful for not having and not telling any of you to do that and none of you rehearsing <laughs> it. That, that worked out really well. <laughs> so our mailbag, uh, this Saima, uh, you'll recognize this name. This is from uh, Alice, who's in our, our Facebook groups. Oh, hi, Alice. Um, yeah. Um, she says, hi, my name is Alice. I've interact interacted with both Ruark and Saima in some way or another um, on Facebook. I'm a book reader that started reading them when we were still waiting for Brandon Sanderson to finish the series, which feels like it was an age ago. Um, it was about 10 years ago, so it was a good while. Um, she says, I've enjoyed this podcast so much. And so was in, in capitals there, so I tried to make sure to emphasize <laughs> it. And the pair of friendship is strong on my part. I honestly feel like I could join you all during the discussions and fit right in. I hadn't written before because as a book reader, I'd mostly be commenting on how I would be exactly as Ruark was biting their lip and nearly exploding <laughs> when not being able to confirm or deny anything. It's so hard, Alice. Um, I also thought about asking to have pictures of Gulot shared uh, so we could put names and voices to the faces, but also refrain because it could be felt somewhat intrusive and unnecessary. Um, I will tell you that they all gave me pictures to share. I just have not done anything with those pictures yet. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do about getting those out on, on the Facebooks. To, uh, They'll all be used in a jib-jab yeah, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, she said, little did I know that I would get something much better and much more personal, your general background, uh, which we gave at the beginning of our last episode. Um. I haven't yet finished listening to that episode. In fact, I haven't even fully finished hearing Samaria's full intro, but I was actually truly so touched by how vulnerable you all made yourself that I A, welled up, and B, paused because I was getting ready to start my day and wanted to give you my full attention. Oh, thank you. Um, I am a cis white, though olive-skinned, lesbian immigrant that lives in England. And although I could never claim to have prejudice on my skin color, I am often re referred to as exotic by well-intentioned people, even though by Brazilian standards, the only shade paler than mine is Ruark's. And I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that it's a lot paler than yours. Very much so. <laughs> We're talking fish belly here. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> I've been trying to, as Maya Angelou would say, do my best until I know better and then do better. I've also tried to be the best ally where I am the majority. And let, you, and let me tell you this, Wheel of Time is doing that too. As I'm sure you've discussed, the diversity, representation, and inclusivity of the show makes my heart soar. Much like Saima, I never picture my favorite character, Egwene, as non-Caucasian. But when Maddie was announced, I knew she was Egwene. And soon she became my canon. 
I was shocked to discover my own bias, but actually proud of myself for not judging the show's choice and freely embracing it. It can be a process, no judgment for anybody out there who did not have that. I now trust Rafe and the producers irrefutably in their actor choices. And I can tell you, Alice, I, I'm absolutely in the same boat. Yeah. Yeah. They, they have been doing, they've done no wrong as, as far as I can see so far, with the exception of Bran Elvier. <laughs> who who's being played by a lovely, lovely, wonderful actor who just needs to eat a few sandwiches. <laughs> I'll send him an apple pie or two. Yeah, there we there go. There you go. <laughs> uh, anyway, a lot of words and not actually saying much. I, I beg to differ there. The, the, mm -hmm. You were saying quite a bit, Alice, yeah. and, and we thank you for it. Uh, she says, you guys rock. Thank you for the laughs and theories and for being so right so often, even though you have no idea. Wow. Uh, I feel like we are all friends and I won't apologize for my pair of friendship. And, and I don't think that you should. In, in any way. No, thank you, Alice. Thank you, Alice. Thanks, thank Alice. You. Um, I look forward to listening to you all enjoying this incredible journey that is this turn of the wheel. Much love to you all, Alice. Oh, that you, is Alice. such an oh, thanks, awesome Alice. letter. Thank you, Alice. I'm going when you finish listening to the entire recording, uh, give us your thoughts in the group. We want to hear more. Yeah. Yes. And uh, um, what she was saying about that that pair of friendship that she feels for all of us. I'm. She's not the first person I've heard say something like that. You know, I've, I've heard other people write into the show saying that that they feel like we're their friends and. I want to say that that is exactly what I was aiming for with this show. Um, beyond just the basic level of the show, I wanted it to be a group of friends that could have fun and talk to each other and, and have other people come in and feel like they were part of that group of friends. I, I really based everything I know about putting together a podcast off of another podcast I know. Um, it's, an, it's called The Geek Show Podcast. Uh, a few of you might might know of it. Um, the, it's, it's friends of mine who, who do a podcast and they, it, it's very much just like this, a large group of friends having fun and, and the listeners all feel like they're part of that group of friends as well. And, and, uh, D David, you can back me up on this one. You, I know you're a Absolutely. listener also. Yeah. And, and it was that feeling that I was really aiming for when I put this podcast together. So getting these letters saying that, that we hit that mark, that, that makes me feel really good. So I'm glad that well, you feel Rourke, good me, and I am feeling great because of it. Rourke, let me, let me continue that uh, opportunity for you to feel great because speaking as somebody who knew no one on this panel, but you, mm -hmm. we've done what 17 episodes. I've missed a couple. Yeah. So I've been, I've been with these people for 15 episodes and I absolutely consider every one of them a friend. Same here. Absolutely. And the absolutely. only time I get to talk yeah. to them is this, you know, two hours a week. <laughs> we, have, we have started. And that is not even a moment. There are people who I've talked for two hours to a week, and that's all I need. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and that is not the case here. For those of you who don't know, we wrap the episode and then sometimes stick around and chat for another half hour. I, I don't see my kid on Sundays because I'm oh in here chatting with so everybody. Like it's no, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it's, I, I wanted to express my thank you to everybody here for the friendship that's been created. And I think Ruark, you get the credit for the people you've brought together. The fact that we were able to form that friendship and that people were along the journey with us forming mm -hmm. yeah. because in first episode, we really didn't all know each other. And over the course of episodes, we became friends and other people listening to that. That got to join in that creation of that pair of friendship. Yes, yes. 
And I just want to add as well, I came in last week. I felt like I knew all of you because I've been listening to the podcast, but I came in on what's quite a kind of difficult and heavy subject matter. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't as as jolly as perhaps some of the ones I'd listened to. Um, But I, you know, I wasn't intimidated by the fact that I didn't know you. I just felt nervous about the subject matter. And I feel like I said to you all, last week off air. Oh, great. I, I feel like I already know you, but now I'm kind of like here in with you. So it's been fantastic. And I think I absolutely agree. You know, it really comes across when you've just been listening to it every week. Yeah. Well, we appreciate that. Thank you. We absolutely do. And uh, amongst other things we appreciate are getting reviews on uh, on all the podcast services. <laughs> Segway um, there. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> That's me with my, my little helmet on my Segway going past. <laughs> um, yeah, I just want to say say quick say thank you quickly to uh, Ricardo Vanzuelas, uh, Gemo357, and Yoshiyahoo17 for your wonderful reviews on Apple Podcasts. Uh, thank you so much. Yoshiyahoo! Um, and then uh, one other big thank you I wanted to put out there is uh, I want to say thank you to Uno's eye patch. Um, I, I, I mean, okay. Uno's, Uno's <laughs> eye patch <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, okay. Uh, on Twitter. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, somebody out there with the, using the, the Twitter now. handle Uno's eye patch and they have been a, a wonderful fan of the show. They've been pumping the show, um, saying lots of wonderful things about us. Uh, they pumped our episode last week um saying that was an important episode for people to listen to so so thank you so much uh, uh whoever whoever you are behind uno's eye patch uh we love you and and hope you continue to stay a fan of the show yes and jealous really one. thank you yeah um and if you want to send us any uh missives for us to read on the air you can send those to watch party what watch party w-o-t at gmail.com um, or if you're, if you, uh, are in any of those, uh, Facebook groups we mentioned, you can, uh, usually say something and I'll show up. Um, you can find those Facebook groups in the show description if you go look. And I think that's about all of the business we need to cover today. So, uh, let's just say thank you to Michael and Jen. Uh, thank, you, Mike. thank, thank you, Michael and Jen. Jen. Out there at the Secret Island headquarters, we love you both. Thank you so much for helping us out, uh, putting this podcast together. Thank you to all at the Secret Island. And uh, this has been a Watch Party podcast production. Final question. I think we're going to go with the same thing we did last week and just do a little bit of a palate cleanser. Uh, What what are you into right now? What do you recommend? Uh, DW, go first. Not that it needs any publicity, but I'm currently uh, getting the uh, Amazon new show, uh, Vox Machina, Legend of Vox Machina, Ooh. which is from Critical Role. Um, what I highly recommend about the series is uh, I, I started anime with a series called Record of the Lotus Wars, which is essentially a D&D campaign done anime style. It's a beautiful, beautiful story, wonderfully done. Uh, I highly recommend it. But that's how you want your campaign to go. Vox Machina is much more how the campaigns tend to actually go. So it's a lot of like, you can see the roles fail and the plan that was brilliant originally, and then they have to pull it off last second, which is a beautiful thing and a compliment to uh, the performers that are involved in making that, that show happen. Um, So I highly recommend if you're not already watching it, they're nine episodes in on Amazon. 
check it out if you like. I, I want to know: Do they show the dungeon master putting together like nine pages of awesome storyline for them to follow, and them going a completely different direction? <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt Mercer has, in fact, talked about having things. They don't show that, but it's beautiful because Matt, being the DM, he's they're all they're all voice actors. And this is an animated series, so they all play themselves. But Matt, who voiced all of the NPCs, plays several of the NPCs in the series because that was the voice that people heard on the Twitch stream. Nice. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's well done. But, yes, that has happened. And you can almost see them get caught up in storylines that may not originally uh, have been where it was going to go. Well, I can say that... that uh Honestly, running this podcast often feels like being a dungeon master because I can I can put together the best show notes in the world and you guys will go off to completely left field and I'll just ignore them and move on. And so, yeah, <laughs> I, I could definitely feel for Matt Mercer. Uh, so, Mario, what are, you, what are you into? Okay, so this past week was just like really rough. And so I was watching things that had to fit three criteria. Had to be familiar. So something I've already watched before, it had to be not that deep. So nothing serious. And three, pretty. Like it had to be visually appealing. Mm -hmm. And so on Netflix, I've been re-watching Bridgerton because the new season, I think, comes out next month. And so mm -hmm. I need to be ready. And I've also been watching Shadow and Bone because Bed Barnes is beautiful. Okay. And so, so is just the set of that entire show. Um, it's set in fantasy Russia and it, it's yeah. just really cool. So uh, the, something about the costuming of that show, when I saw the first season, I thought, uh, they, they, it felt like they were kind of taking a wheel of time costuming angle with it, just with the, the coats that they all had. The colors. But yeah, yeah. The, the, the colors specifically. Yeah. But, mm. but yeah, it, I, I watched the first season of that also. It's fantastic. I love it. Uh, Saima, what are you into? Um, I'm trying to get through my serious pile of books on my bedside table before they fall over and kill me. Um, so I'm trying to start Against White Feminism by Rafia Zakaria. And then I'm trying to balance that with um, something lighter on Netflix. I finished my rewatch of Star Trek DS9 and I started Enterprise. And um, in our break, um, off off air, I was asking the resident Star Trek uh, uh, expert, David, if I should continue because it really annoyed me. And he's uh, told me that um, certain sexist elements uh, can remain, but I should still persevere because it's a great show. I never, what, it's the Berman, only Star what? Trek show I didn't watch. <laughs> <laughs> so it's my, it's not a rewatch, it's my first watch. And I'm going to, I'm going to see how I go. So yeah, David, I might uh, send you a few screaming messages if I can't. <laughs> uh, speaking of David, let's ride my segue over to you. Well, staying in the Star Trek realm, uh, Discovery is back and killing it oh, yes. just with one episode. So, so much. I'm excited. And then uh, for all those that missed because it's a Nickelodeon show, don't miss Prodigy. Amazing Star Trek. Yeah, that one I still haven't picked up on yet, but I'm I'm completely planning on it because all of the Star Trek coming out lately has just been fantastic. And, Incredible. And, and I know And also filled with a bunch of wonderful voice actors I know and I'm so happy for <laughs> oh, that. <awesome. laughs> nice. I, Great I, cast and incredible cast. I'm I'm just so looking forward to Strange New Worlds just because Oh man, yes. Anson Mount as Captain Pike is is like oh mm -hmm. captain, my captain. He he is the the 
textbook example of what a Starfleet captain should be. And and hmm. I am so excited to see that. Um, and he's so hot. Well, the the first poster came out and it is so good. Yeah. That that enterprise looks incredible. Yeah, very much so. Uh, yeah. Greg, what are you what are you into? Well, speaking of Anson Mount, the last thing I watched him in was uh, was the Inhumans, where he didn't have a speaking part. So <laughs> <laughs> I was just Too thinking, bad. hey, I might check that out just just to hear what his voice sounds like uh, <laughs> when he's not Black Bolt. Um, the few, one of the things I'm listening to right now, a new album by uh, Frank Turner. A uh, an English singer songwriter, uh, sort of punk folk. Uh, mm. Really, really, really like his stuff. Uh, FTHC new album that just dropped here in the U.S. Got a lot of great stuff on it. Uh, also watching uh, Peacemaker on HBO yep. Max, which that's <laughs> that, that is so show. over the top. It's great. I, I was I trying it. to figure out what that show reminded me of, and it finally dawned on me that it's just it's the Tick, but more violent and and yes. more stupid somehow. Yes, yes. Yeah, it is incredibly yeah. <laughs> stupid, incredibly violent, but so much fun. Yeah, so much and, fun. Yeah, and also going with uh, with, with Simon's uh, recommendation from last week, I started watching We Are Lady Parts Yay. on uh, Peacock in the US. Uh, for those who haven't seen it yet, see it. See it. It's so good. It's so, it's so good. good. I see. So what, good. I see what I was talking about. It's so great. Everybody is just so fantastic the lead the lead actress is so adorable i love it i love yes. it she is so adorable i love that word i'm so happy that you're watching it <laughs> yes it's it's fun it's fun i like and uh, siobhan um so nothing new that i'm currently watching but i have a couple of things on my uh to to-do list um discovery and Lady Parts. I am going to get into those, I promise. <laughs> um, and I'm waiting for an album to come out, a band called uh, Bloodywood. They're a metal band from New Delhi. They combine uh, modern instrumentation with traditional um, oh. Indian instruments and folk. They have oh, two singers, one great. who raps in English and one who sings in Punjabi. Wow. They are fantastic. I, lo- I, I love that name. <laughs> I love fantastic. that name. So yeah, their yeah. album's supposed to come out at the end of the week, so... Oh, I'm gonna watch for that. I, I'm not a big metal fan, but you've intrigued me with that one. I think I might have to go check that out. Um, yes. And then myself, I've just been I've been watching Peacemaker as, as Greg brought up earlier. It's fantastic, um, and we're we're really just working hard on getting through the Expanse these days because uh, we want we haven't seen the last two two seasons. We just finished season two right before we we recorded this episode, and we're gonna as soon as we're done, I'm going back out there and starting up season three. So. Yeah, the expanse. Some of uh, those episodes are hard work. Yeah, yeah, they're hard work, but oh man, it's so good. It, it's good in the same way that we love time.